Okay, good morning. Welcome, everyone. We are uh, at um, Sadi Ches 98B, three lines from the bottom. We're just finishing up the last case about uh, Korban Pesach and finishing up the whole section. Uh, pretty much the Psachim uh, divides up into the part that deals with the Korban Pesach. And then we're going to get to our Vipsachim, which deals with the Seder. So um, we had some scenarios, which um, one of the challenges of bringing a Corbin of an animal is that it's a moving target. And uh, animals squirm and get away. And uh, if you have hundreds of animals and hundreds of people and different people in charge, you're going to have some animals uh, getting away. Now, some animals, what they'll do is they'll join their other their other animals. And then the problem is if you can't tell the difference. So you don't know, you know, we thought this was our goat. And they said, no, we thought this was our goat. <laughs> you know, it, you didn't have enough chance to make it a pet that you could tell the difference. That's one scenario. And then the other scenario we had was where it runs off into the woods and you don't know if you'll find it in time. And it's too important if you, the fellow who's searching it, maybe he'll find it eventually, but if he gets it too late, uh, then everybody will be without a Korban Pesach. So then the last-minute decisions will need to be made. So we had rather long Mishnah that dealt with all those scenarios. So one of the situations was, Tanur uh, Rabbanin, it's, it's a repeat from the Mishnah, Omer Lahem, uh, what they did was they said the following, they said, um, basically, they appoint one person to go look for their lost lamb. Now, the problem is, this is always the problem, when you send somebody to find someone, uh, you might find somebody, and then you've lost the person you sent. So you have that problem here, that the one going to find the Korban Pesach, he could get lost on the way, uh, and he won't be able to get back in time and find everybody. So what they instruct him to do is if you find it and it's still early enough to shecht, shecht it and bring it back shechted to us. Uh, so uh, then the only problem is he doesn't know if they are going to find, if they're going to give up on him and shecht one too. So Omer Lahem, he says to them and they say to him, Ochum in Arishon. They said that, well, we'll all look at our clock. And we'll see who did it first. And uh, we'll compare notes when you come back. And so if yours was the first, uh, you found it right away. and You shechted it right away. So uh, then uh, we'll be Yotze with yours. Whereas if yours was not the first, if we did it first, then you'll be Yotze. Uh, well, then either you'll be Yotze with ours or you'll be Yotze with yours, depending on what they said. So that was the uh, so Omer lehen v'Omer lo ochel minarishon lo Omer lehen v'lo Omer lo. Now what happens if they um, then uh, nobody said anything to each other? So einich roim zelizah. So then uh, they're not responsible for one another. Now in the case where they said whichever is the first one, sometimes they get confused about when each one shechted, and they don't know when the first one is. And then they both end up in trouble. Um, and they would have been much better if they had not given each other instructions, if they had just said, you know, go look for it. Sometimes people micromanage and they give too many instructions and things would be much better if they didn't 
over-instruct. And that's the situation here. So as we turn to today's page, uh, it's always a good policy not to say too much. Being quiet is a good policy even if you have what to say. And certainly if you're a fool uh, and you whatever you're going to say is going to be foolish, you'd be better off saying less. When a fool is silent, that's the smartest thing to do. Okay, so that's just a, an observation from the Mishnah that in the case where they gave more instructions, they were worse off than when they did less instructions. So then uh, we comment also on the, one of the final cases where we had five different groups, um, or and we had two groups. Uh, Our Mishnah didn't seem to follow Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. So the Torah talks about not having enough people to finish the Korban Pesach and appointing other people. That's really what the Pesach says. If the household is too small for a lamb, if you don't have enough people to eat it, so then you uh, add people to your group. So uh, what do we learn now from that Pesach? You see that uh, it's a process to get people to join your Seder. Meaning that sometimes you have more and sometimes you'll have less. Uh, but you see you're allowed to add or take off uh, uh, people to your Seder. People are trying to decide, should I go over here? Should I go over there? They don't have enough people to finish. So... Uh, a lot of these deliberations are going on at the last minute uh, as, as people are getting their Korban Pesach together. Uh, you really sometimes didn't plan ahead a whole lot because you didn't know who would be there. You didn't know if they would be in your section. Good morning, Dr. Yafi. We're on the top of Sadi Tessamad Aleph, about four, five lines down. So we're discussing the, uh, the Torah's teaching you that until the Korban Pesach is shechted, your nismaitim v'holchim. The numbers will go up and they'll go down, the people that are registering for your Seder. Div Rebbe Yehudi, your Korban Pesach. Rebbe Yossi says, Bavad Pesach As long um, as the, uh, um, you can't, you don't leave a Korban Pesach without anybody on it. In other words, you can have people opt out, but you always need somebody in charge. You always need at least one person who's still there. Again, that's that's his uh, requirement that he learns out by Korban Pesach. So um, now, the, if that's true, why do we have such a big problem with adding people um, and subtracting people? So Omar Rabbi Yochanan Afilu Tamer Rabbi Yehuda. Even if we go like Rabbi Yehuda. Since Rabbi Huda said you, you, you can't do it for one person, we had a different opinion said that you could check for one person. Rabbi Huda learned you can't. So, so even like Rabbi Huda, you always were going to have more than one person. And so therefore, um, even he would always say that. Um, Korban Pesach was meant to have more than one person on it. So um, the, uh, um, this here also, you would have to have at least two people. Omer Ravashi, Masnisa Nami Deik, Amishna also fits that, because it says, V'kein Chamesh Gaburus, Shel Chamesh Chamesha Shel... Good morning, Steve. 
uh, we're just at the bottom of Sadi test uh, 99a. Uh, the same as it says with uh, groups of five, uh, where they, we had a case where there were five groups and the lambs got all mixed together. So, uh, so we said that you have to pick one from each group. Abu Shochamisha Arba, but we we didn't have four in one group and five in the other. Mishum gabe. You had to make sure that each korban had one original person there. So uh, um, again, we're, we're just pause for a second. What we're discussing is that uh, at the last minute, uh, when a lot of people are up there at the base of Migdosh and Harabais, and they didn't check their lamb yet. Can you change the registrations? Can you say, well, I think I'd rather eat with this Seder. I'll think I'll go with that one. And uh, how many need to leave? How many need to stay uh, as far as the negotiations go? And so that's what we're getting into. Uh, we're just pointing that out. Shema Mina, you see that that's, uh, we're following that view that you have to have one of the originals, one of the original groups still still there. Hadalok Mishayotami, Veslichalei Pesachshini. Okay, we'll come back to you. And then at the bottom over here, uh, this is just some of the laws of Pesach Shemi, if you want a good review. As we get ready to start the new chapter, chapter 10, the final chapter. And uh, this is a famous chapter because people that want to get ready for Pesach always brush up on this chapter. And so that's a, uh, very appropriate this year that we're starting Arve Pesachim uh, a few weeks before Pesach. Okay, let's begin the new Mishnah. So uh, Pesach begins with before Pesach, Arve Pesachim, Erev Pesach, the, right before Pesach. So um, this is a, uh, a, a very important rule, but um, part of enjoying the Seder, the, the main mitzvah of the Seder is the matzah. And uh, if you're already full, then uh, you won't enjoy eating the matzah. And uh, we, uh, w- by the time you get to the matzah, it tastes good because you're looking forward to it. You're hungry, and uh, things are late and it's delayed, and it tastes. Uh, you're enjoying doing the mitzvah, whereas if you had eaten a full meal when you started your seder, you will not look forward to the matzah in the same way. And we have a concept that we try to do mitzvahs uh, in a way that they're appealing. That's an important rule. Like uh, sometimes a person tries to do a mitzvah and they. Um, it's uh, not appealing, and so they think that they might be technically doing the mitzvah, but they should try to find a way to make the mitzvah work so that they look forward to it. So uh, it says over here, what we're going to find out is that the rabbis actually instituted that you shouldn't eat. Uh, you shouldn't schedule a meal uh, on Passover afternoon uh, because then it'll take away from the Seder. Erev Pesach, towards the late afternoon, a person should not eat, uh, until he waits for the Seder. That's halacha number one. Uh, that's just the first uh, first rule. As Rashi says, why shouldn't you eat? Lo yochel, top Rashi. mitzvah In order that you eat the matzah of mitzvah with desire. Mishum hider mitzvah. What's nice in Israel when you... Uh, um, when you eat a meal, people say beteyavon, like which means enjoy. <laughs> it's that same word. You should. It should be good. It should taste good. Sometimes you eat food and it's not beteyavon. It's as you have no desire to eat this. Um, so that's the ideal thing uh, for the matzah. Um, 
Okay, next halacha. Vafilu ani v'yisrael. Now, what happens if you're a poor person? There's another mitzvah we're going to talk about, and that's the pillow mitzvah. And that is the mitzvah to lean. Uh, when I say pillow, most people choose to do the leaning with a pillow. In the old days, they had a couch made for eating on, where they actually leaned on the couch. Uh, it was much more comfortable, probably, with their couch. Um, some people have a chair with an armrest. That actually helps a lot. So uh, the question is, should a poor person, uh, does he have that mitzvah? So uh, the, the halacha of the Mishnah is, even if right now you're poor, you have to realize that Hashem took us out of slavery. Slavery meant that we were always going to be poor, and uh, uh, people that are enslaved or lower class, uh, they never do the, enjoy the fine points of life. They never get the luxuries. So the Mishnah is telling us that even if right now you're poor, a poor Jew, you're the lower class, you've got nothing. On Pesach night, you should uh, lean on the couch. Lo yochel Don't eat unless you do the mitzvah. This word yesev we call it haseba, which means leaning. Let's see tosus here. It's the uh, last skinny tosus. Afilo anishab Israel, even a poor man of Israel, should not eat until he does haseba. Tosus, the silkadai de sebis ani lo chashivaseba. Tosus says, well, of course, everybody has to lean. Uh, why would we think a poor person doesn't have that mitzvah? We have to show that we're grateful that uh, we got freedom. So Tosus says that maybe if you're poor, the leaning doesn't work. The Ainlo Almai Lahasif. Since you have no fancy couch to lie on or no fancy pillow, ain't that derecheris? Maybe um, that's not considered freedom. In other words, if you can't do it right, don't do it. <laughs> a poor person, sometimes a poor person just has to lean on, uh, uh, you know, with his elbow. So maybe that's not considered like an aristocrat. So maybe he shouldn't go through the trouble. So that's what the mission is saying. Even a poor person uh, leaning has that mitzvah of leaning as well. Uh, uh, let's just see the next uh, part of Tosus. He just he has another explanation. Some people try to connect this teaching with the previous teaching of the Mishnah. The Mishnah is like very abrupt. And if the first thing, we're, we're Erev Pesach. And then all of a sudden we talk about poor people doing leaning. How do we switch from leaning to before Pesach? What, how do the, you know, the, each one has, not, one halach has nothing to do with the other. So Toso says, some people say that this goes back. When we said before, you got to wait for dark. So the Mishnah meant, Afilu Anishab Yisrael. What it meant to say was, even a person who's poor, Pirish, Afilu Anishab Yisrael, Kama Yamim. He hasn't eaten in days. So if you're worried that he won't have an appetite for matzah, that's us. We never go very long without eating. So there's a danger that if we eat, we'll be full. If a poor person hasn't eaten in days, so uh, he can eat and he'll still be able to eat more. Uh, these people are ravished. They can, you know, they can polish off tons of matzah. So, therefore, you might have thought that he's allowed to eat Erev Pesach. So that's why the Mishnah says, Lo yocho at In other words, this second halacha isn't focusing on the leaning. Of course he's leaning. But what it means is, even if he's poor and says, I haven't eaten in days, he should still wait for the Seder uh, before he starts. Because this is a, we don't differentiate in halachas between if you're hungry or you're not hungry, you're poor, if you're not poor. The halacha is you don't eat a fancy meal um, when you get to that time slot before the Seder. 
So we haven't really defined it. I just use the word fancy meal. Usually it's defined uh, by a certain amount, like you're allowed to eat some fruit or you're allowed to eat some potatoes, but you don't eat, uh, you don't eat uh, matzo balls or you don't eat something that's going to fill you up. Okay. The final halacha of the Mishnah. And uh, now that we're on the subject of poor people, so there's a mitzvah to help poor people out that they should have a Seder. You should give it, even though wine was very expensive, uh, you should give a poor person four cups. Even from the food plate. Those are very poor people. You might have thought that, that wine is too fancy for them. Uh, four cups of wine, they're lucky if they have food. Maybe they're better off with more bread. But no, they also should be given four cups of wine. Uh, there's a tosus here, which is interesting as well. Uh, it's the third tosus from the bottom. And uh, he wants to know, do you have to give him four cups for every member of his family? Our Mishnah sounds like four cups. Uh, that's it. You just give him four cups and then he'll have in mind the rest of his family. It doesn't say four cups for each person in the family. Let's see Tosus. He said it's not so clear. It implies a little bit. You don't have to give four cups to this poor person's kids and every member of his household. That would be a fortune. Just the head of the household. And he will do for everybody else. And it's logical. Why would the four cups be any worse than Kiddush of all year round, where one person makes the bracha and he gives everybody else a tiny taste? So uh, that's the, the question that he raises. In other words, for the Seder night, could you in theory just have one person with four cups instead of everybody with four cups? And that's a discussion that uh, Tosus uh, has over here. And he points out, you know, that even the, uh, the wife, in the end, he says that even women have to do four cups, and even the children have four cups. Uh, the question is maybe, um, we'll see later on, that there's one view that why would you bother with wine with children? They don't appreciate wine. Uh, I don't think they had grape juice in those days. So um, uh, we'll see more on that discussion. Uh, we know today what we do. We just, you know, you give the little kids grape juice and... Uh, the grape juice is considered wine, and you, wine, grape juice is much more inexpensive, and so we don't have that problem. But they had that issue as far as the halacha, how far does it go? And again, we're just at the Mishnah, and we're introducing three different subjects. We're introducing the eating Erev uh, right before the holiday. We're introducing the Haseba, the leaning. Uh, and we're introducing the giving of the poor, and uh, whether the poor people need to lean, and whether the poor people need to have four cups for every member of their household or not. Uh, those are the questions that we're uh, dealing with right now. Um, why do we talk so much about the poor? So uh, we all know with the Seder that any, everyone who's hungry, let them come and eat. We wouldn't think of making Siddharim if we weren't sure that every Jew could have a place to eat for the Seder. That's like a very basic concept of uh, of being a slave and now having freedom is that we uh, wish to ensure that everybody can partake and everybody has food. It's always been a uh, very strong uh, Jewish uh, custom to 
make sure that uh, even people that normally couldn't afford to would be able to go do a seder. It's always been a uh, uh, important, uh, you know, important concept uh, to us. Uh, the uh, so um, the even though Rashi says we're talking when we talk about giving, we're talking about the people in charge of giving. In other words, not everybody is, is giving the poor. Sometimes you give the charity fund, and the charity fund gives the poor. But the charity fund is not supposed to waste money on fancy food. They, they could give them beans, right? They could give them uh, cheap food. But instead, they have to give them wine and matzah. It's, it's very expensive. But the idea is that even the poor need to celebrate Pesach. Okay, let's see the Gemara. My Iri why does this Mishnah pick on the on right before Pesach? You should go into Pesach with an appetite. This rule applies even erev yantuf and erev Shabbos. Uh, there's the idea that you don't eat an, a full meal right before Shabbos and yantuf in order that you enjoy the Shabbos meals. This is not a this is a, this rule you find a, a, really is a general rule for all holidays. So why? Would we need to mention it special over here? Uh, let's see, Rashi. Afilu, it's Rashi about seven lines up on the left side. Uh, we, we get to splurge a little bit and do spend time on Rashi and Tosus because uh, the previous page was just half a page. That's, <laughs> so uh, let's see, Rashi. Afilu erve Shabbosus, alibid rev Yehuda kadesh shehe kiddish vesuda Shabbos chavivolav. In order that you should look forward to kiddish. And you should look forward to the meal. It's nothing like having an appetite. If you have a good appetite, then uh, the food tastes better. That's always a good good way to go. Um, I think some restaurants like to keep you waiting so the food will taste better. But okay, let's see the uh, uh, the Gemara. Um, my ear. Uh, start again. Five lines down. My ear. Even every every year of Shabbos, every year of Yantav, the Tanya. You shouldn't eat from the late afternoon and later in order that you come into the holiday really hungry uh, with a desire to eat. Rav Yossi says, He says, nah, don't worry about that. You can eat all the way as long as until it gets dark. So, uh, so the question is, why does our Mishnah uh, bother mentioning this rule here in Psachim if it's already a famous rule for every Shabbos and every Yantav? The answer is, so we'll see more than one answer. So Amr Rav Huna. Rav Huna answers, Lo nitzricha ela Rav Yossi. This is needed like Rav Yossi. Amr ad Rav Yossi said uh, he doesn't have that requirement for regular Shabbos and regular Yantav. His opinion was you're allowed to eat. So even him, that's honey mealy tovin. That's different. Because there it's just a nice idea. It's a nice idea, but you can't create a mitzvah, you can't make a requirement. If you're hungry, he says you're allowed to eat right before Shabbos. You're allowed to eat right before Yantaf. But by Arab Pesak Mashumchiev de Matzah Moda. Arab Pesak, it's a whole different story. So that's answer number one. Which it just adds, it's not just that we want to celebrate Yantuf and it, the food should taste good. There's a, the, very rarely in the Torah do we have a mitzvah to eat something. You know, that we, it's, it's really the matzah is such a unique mitzvah. We, we, our whole lives we want to know that we're doing what Hashem wants us to do. 
Not so easy. Uh, sometimes people think they know what Hashem wants them to do. But the Seder night, when we put the matzah in our mouth, we know that we're fulfilling a command written in the Torah. It's a, it's a biblical mitzvah. And uh, we again, it's, you know, the, the morer is only rabbinic, the, the, um, the harosis, all, all of these things are, are, are part of celebrating the holiday, but they're not a direct command. And so when you can actually fulfill a direct mitzvah, it's very special. So even the opinion that says for Shabbos, it's, it's nice to have a good appetite, but it's not a requirement. But when it comes to Pesach, uh, it's a it's an obligation. Mishum chiyav de matzah. He's saying that even the even the skeptic by uh, by the, the during Shabbos uh, or another yantuf he would agree that you uh, are required. Now Rashi speaks to this a little bit. Where do you see that um, there's this obligation uh, to enjoy the matzahs or the just there's a quote here. Rashi mishum chiyav de matzah shalote no chelas alasoiva. Uh, you shouldn't eat matzah when you're full. Uh, he says that there's obligation that you should have a desire to eat it. Rashi quotes the Pasuk, where it says you should eat, the, the, that's the time to eat matzah. Now, there is a debate about the rest of Pesach, if you need to eat matzah. In other words, in theory, you could eat matzah at the Seder and uh, be done. You could then go gluten-free. Uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the the is only at the the sidarn. Okay, um, one second, I lost the place. Uh, okay, that's answer number one. Repapa gives a different answer. He can explain. So the reason why this answer doesn't work for everybody is this: we don't we don't necessarily hold like Rabbi the main opinion was that, uh, like Rabbi Yehuda, that every holiday, every Shabbos, you're not supposed to eat. So like that view, why does the Mishnah say this only answers like one view? So we, he says, I can answer this, our Mishnah, even like Rabbi Yehuda. Over there, it's only from a later part of the day that you can't eat. Very late part of the afternoon to Aser. But if you're just towards the mid-afternoon, it's okay. Now we're going to get into a little bit the uh, the timing of when when does this kick in? When exactly did it mean you can't eat? When is that? So he wants to say that for the regular holidays, it's the late part of the day, like right before Shabbos, right before Sukkot. But for Erev Pesach, it starts even earlier. It kicks in earlier the time to stop eating anything significant so we'd be hungry for the Seder. That's what he wants to throw out there. And uh, let's see, Vahatanya. Uh, so now we'll get into the timing. As we learned, You're not supposed to eat from nine hours in the day. That's pretty late. Uh, if you talk about nine hours of the day, if you assume that it's, uh, um, you know, the so you, you can really have a pretty good meal at lunchtime if you can't eat from nine hours in the day. Kadeshi, Kanis L'Shabbos, Shu Rebbe Yehuda. Rabbi Yossi over there says, Omer um, You could eat until dark. So uh, the question here, this Satanya is a question is that we just said that it doesn't start that, um, uh, it doesn't start um, that early on the other holidays and it starts earlier for Pesach. But uh, this view seems to say that even for Erev Shabbos, 
you can't start from the ninth hour, which would be Samach Lamincha. So we're going to have to figure out how to fit that in with the wording and the timing of this last answer. And we'll stop here on the very last line, Omar Marzutra. So we'll stop. Uh, and uh, Okay, yeah, we'll stop here on the last line on, on 99A. And uh, you'll see this is very nice, like a review of getting into the laws of, of Pesach. And uh, um, uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of interesting stuff comes in there too. Okay. Were you talking about three o'clock? Uh, the ninth hour. Um, yeah. It depends on when the the ninth hour from daylight. Uh, we're assuming that there's like twelve hours of daylight. So if you divide uh, every day as twelve hours of daylight, um, so let's say it, 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 say sunrise is at six. So then, at, at uh, three o'clock, like you said, would be uh, that would be a, around the ninth hour, correct? The only thing is, uh, it's, it's never perfect. You know, it's never a perfect twelve hours. You have to kind of divide the hours into what they call halacha hours. But uh, it, it's around three o'clock. That that's a good uh, good average. <laughs> so you're right. You could finish lunch by then and not have any real problem. Somehow, erev Pesach, since you're really not allowed to eat matzah erev Pesach. You uh, you're quite hungry. So, somehow people that's a time where people do get hungry, and uh, uh, you just have to be careful to to leave an appetite. Okay. And, uh...